Well, we're on the last chapter of First Peter today. We'll be finishing this book up from the next couple of weeks. And uh, as Peter writes to the churches that are scattered throughout uh, all these different places, he uh, has warned them about coming persecution, told them how to suffer for Jesus' sake and things like that. And then in this last chapter... He actually addresses the leaders of the church. You know, leadership's important, isn't it? It's important to have the right kind of leader in a home, in a country, in a church. And uh, uh, so, in a sense, Peter's writing more to me in this uh, passage we're going to look at today than he is to everybody else. He's actually addressing the elders in the church. Now, in the New Testament, the church leaders are called three different things. They're called elders, which speaks of their maturity, and they are called bishops or overseers, uh, which speaks of really their responsibility to kind of look over the whole ministry of the church, and then they're called pastors. And even though the word pastor is only used one time in the New Testament, the word that it actually refers to is a, is a shepherd. The, the Greek word for pastor is actually the Greek word for shepherd. So uh, that speaks of the, of the leader's responsibility to feed and to lead and to protect his flock. That's what shepherds did. They they led their flock to make sure that they went in the right places. They fed their flock. And then, of course, they had a rod and a staff, and they used that as protection to guard their flock and even to rescue their flock if there was a need. So he's writing to, to the, the pastor uh, or the elder or the overseer or the bishop, as it's sometimes referred to in the New Testament. So, uh, so I'm going to be preaching to me this morning, and uh, I'll let y'all listen. By the way, there are some reasons why you ought to pray for your leaders. There's a reason you ought to pray for your pastor. One of the reasons is because we need it desperately. One, it's because we are imperfect, for sure. We, uh, we face struggles just like everybody else, and sometimes we get weary, and uh, and tired and 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 we sin sometimes. So we need uh, your prayers for God's leadership, God's forgiveness in our own life. And then uh, uh, there are other reasons, uh, Brother John. Why else should uh, people pray for their pastor? You got anything on your mind? Encouragement. Encouragement that's right, because uh, we do. Uh, at times, it, it, it can get... I've never, I've never gotten tired of the ministry, but I have gotten tired in the ministry. And uh, Brother Tom, any thoughts on that? Uh, spiritual safety. All right, for spiritual safety, for our protection, because as uh, I've heard Brother John over here say, uh, uh, Satan puts a, a, a bullseye on the leaders, that's for sure. And Brother Manuel, any thought you have? You've been a pastor. All right, to be able to faithfully uh, teach the Word of God. So, so I just urge you 
to uh, to pray for me. Uh, we uh, and and I appreciate it. And by the way, I know that many of you do faithfully pray for for me and my family, and I greatly appreciate that. So. So Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter says, look, I, I am an elder. I'm a, I've been a faithful witness. And uh, that word witness, actually <laughs> the Greek word for witness is the word for martyr. And uh, Peter actually did become a true witness, a a martyr for Christ. But he said, we have witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He remembered the uh, sufferings of Jesus, but also the glory. And he was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory of God just was manifest through Christ. So he said, We have seen, we've seen Jesus die, we've seen him be raised, we've seen him glorified, and so he said, I am a fellow elder, and I'm telling you to shepherd, and again, that word uh, is the word for pastor, or he could even say, pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising Oversight, and by the way, the word oversight there is the word bishop or uh, episkopos uh, uh, to to oversee, to to watch from uh, kind of a what's the best word? Like a a, a five hundred foot perspective where you're able to to see what's going on. And you know, one thing that I like about shepherding a uh, small flock is that I can know everybody. I I often, even when I was pastoring at Old Villa, it was very frustrating for me at times when we had 600 people. I couldn't know everybody, and I couldn't, uh, I felt more like a rancher than a shepherd. I felt more like a, a... and, but but I, I love one thing I love about Bear Creek is that I I can know you and uh, and I can can pray for you individually and when I uh, see a name a face comes to my mind and I can pray for you by name and by face and uh, in the New Testament the churches were small. I know on the day of Pentecost, there was a great influx, a huge number of people. But as they scattered and moved out, most of the churches actually met, were small enough to actually meet in people's homes. And so uh, uh, the churches were, were relatively small. There may have been many of them, but they were relatively small. And so he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, watching over the flock, making, trying to kind of check up on people. And so if I call you sometimes and ask how you're doing or something like that, don't think I'm just being nosy. I may be, but, uh, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm just trying to exercise oversight. I'm trying to watch out for you. And then he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, don't do it because you have to do it. Don't feel like it's some kind of huge obligation, but do it willingly. Do it with a 
joyful heart. And then he says, uh, as God would have you do it, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, you don't do it for money. Uh, There was a time in early America where pastors usually were not paid. Uh, They would be fed. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, the pastor was always invited to somebody's house for dinner every Sunday. Uh, that's one reason I went into the minute. No, I'm not. It's not. But, uh, but uh, I just thought that was so neat. And sometimes we would have the preacher over to our house for dinner, which I didn't enjoy too much because my favorite piece of chicken is the, the we call it the pulley bone. I think most people call it the wishbone, you know. It's that part of the chicken that has that... Uh, bone, that Y-shaped bone in it. Well, I, that's my favorite piece of the chicken. But I, I learned that it's also every other preacher's favorite piece of the chicken. And so when we'd have the preacher over for dinner, mother would always give him first choice, and I always watched with sadness as he always reached for my piece of the chicken. I thought, that stinker. I'd end up with the neck or the back or something like that. But, uh, I don't even know how I got on that, but that's, uh, <clears throat> but, but it was, uh, it was back early, early on, uh, nobody thought about preachers being overpaid because they weren't paid very much. A lot of times churches would have a, provide a house near the church for them to live in, then they would give them a, a, a meager salary, enough to just basically get by on, and then they would uh, they would bring them uh, groceries. They would bring them uh, when my wife and I were early married in our first uh, first church that I pastored after we were married. Uh, it was not uncommon at all for us to open the door and there'd be a sack of groceries on the front porch or a, a ham or something like that. And I, I kind of liked that. I kind of liked, uh, uh, and, and we didn't. We had a house to live in, and we had a little salary. And uh, let me just say that if you're ever on a pulpit committee, if you're ever on a search committee looking for a pastor, and one of the first questions that the prospective pastor asks is, uh, well, now, how much is the salary? Or what is the package or something like that? I'd just scratch him off the list. (laughs) To me, that's never been... A question for me and when I was called to Ovilla Road down here and went through the committee meeting one of the men who was chairman of the committee actually said well well brother Nick you never you never asked about what what you'd be paid and I said well in the first place that doesn't matter and in the second place uh that would have no bearing on my coming here. I would only want to come if I believed it was God's will. And if it was God's will for me to come, then the salary wouldn't matter at all. And, and, and that really, in a sense, ought to be the way we live our life, in dependence on God and not dependence on our salary. And we found over the years that God just always provides and whether we were uh, 
well, wherever we were, whatever situation, we just trusted that God would provide. And he says that should be one of the marks of, of a pastor. This should be one of the qualifications, as you could say, of a pastor, that he does it not for gain, but he does it with an eagerness. He does it. And, you know, when the Bible gives qualifications for uh, pastors, for elders, there's absolutely no mention of education. There's no mention, really, of uh, uh, intelligence or talent or anything like that or personality. All of the qualifications have to do with their character and their commitment to Christ. So that's, that's what you... I, I don't believe it's wrong to get education. I, I've, I've been to school a lot. In fact, when I was pastoring at Daniel Dale up here, I had a lady from up north that actually came to visit our church. She came several Sundays, and she came to me after church one Sunday. She said, now, uh, Brother Nick, is, is it true that you went to college for four years? And I said, yes. And, and you went to seminary, and you finished seminary, and you got a master's degree at seminary? I said, yes. She said, well, my goodness, just, just listening to you pe- preach, I, I would have never guessed you had any education at all. So I don't know, didn't know exactly what to say. So I said, well, thank you, <laughs> I think. But uh, I, I hope she meant that as a compliment. Because sometimes people who get a lot of education become more um, determined to try to impress people with what they know than they are to try to uh, express the gospel with a heart of honesty. So I think it's good to have education. I'm not opposed to education at all. But uh, I'm just saying that none of those are qualified. In fact, the, the disciples, the Bible says that they were unlearned men. But they had been with Jesus. And it says they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. So, and then he says in verse 3, again, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So, pastors are not to be bosses. They're not to be rulers, but are to be servants. And so, the the pastor that God would, would, uh, I mean, the, the qualification that God would have for a pastor is not one who is a a hard-driving, administrative tyrant. There are some of those. I've known some of those over the years. But rather uh, lead by example. And he says, when the chief shepherd, when the chief pastor appears, obviously he's talking here about Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then he says, likewise, you who are younger, and maybe he's speaking to just people in the church who are younger, uh, and maybe he's speaking to younger elders. I'm not sure. But he says, you who are younger, uh, be subject to the elders. And, you know, I started pastoring 
when I was just 18 years old. I'm almost embarrassed about that now because I was not qualified really to be an elder because I was a younger. I was, uh, I was just a kid, really. But I am thankful that through the years I had members of my congregation who were older than me who gave me wise counsel, guidance, and help along the way. And I can, I can just, my mind's just racing right now thinking of several, several people along the way who would give me wise counsel and encouragement. And uh, Brother Horace was one of those, Kathy. Uh, Kathy's husband was one of those men. I don't know, he, he was older than me, wasn't he? Yeah, okay. I, but, uh, but I just appreciate so much. Now, it doesn't happen to me as much now because not many people are older than me. But, uh, but occasionally, uh, I run into somebody now who says, let me give you a, a word of counsel. And I greatly appreciate that. And then he says, clothe yourselves. And then he says, all of you, not just, not just the pastors. But he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then the next verse, this will be the last one we look at. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Let me tell you, our greatest danger, our greatest enemy, really, is our inward enemy, is pride. It's that attitude of, I don't need God. I don't need other people. I have it in control. I can handle it all by myself. That's the greatest danger that we face. And the reason that's such a great danger is that those kind of people who think like that receive no grace from God. God gives grace only to those who are willing to admit they need it. I've known so many people over the years that uh, had a great need, but they would never admit they had a great need. And because of that, because of that prideful attitude, God would just push them away. That's what it says. God resists the proud we're told later, God resists the proud. And the word there for resist is a word that means a stiff arm, a stiff arm. God stiff arms the arrogant person, the prideful person. Let's ask you today, <clears throat> do you know how much you need the grace of God? Do you know that you really are helpless? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do Nothing, nothing. You are helpless. I'm helpless apart from God's grace. The other side of that is that through God's grace, we can virtually overcome every enemy. We can do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we can do nothing apart from God's grace. What's the greatest need that you have today? There, 
there are some people that really need forgiveness of their sin and a change in their heart. They need to be saved. They need to be born again. I went down to assisted living home this past, was the day before yesterday, I guess, or was it yesterday, before yesterday. And uh, there was a, a lady there. She's in a wheelchair. She's uh, had a pretty serious stroke. And she had said, I, I need to be baptized. I, I've trusted Jesus. I was baptized when I was a little girl, but, I've, but I hadn't been baptized since I've been saved. I just, I really want to be baptized. And I've known the family for 38 years, and so they called on me to ask if I could come down and baptize her. We rolled her off in her wheelchair, rolled her off into a swimming pool. It's kind of funny because she floated. In fact, she just floated up out of her wheelchair. And they, I told her she won't ever have to worry about drowning because she floats. And uh, But we we baptized her there in the swimming pool at the apartment. But before we did that, I was able to speak to all of her family and uh, just talk to them about the grace of God, that the grace of God is amazing it is sufficient. It is adequate. It, it can do for us what nothing else can do. But there is a qualification. God's grace does not, is not received by everybody. There are many people who, who live their life in utter need and they never receive God's grace. And the reason is because they will not admit that they need God's grace. What about you today? Do you need God's grace? Is your life out of kilter? Is your life kind of a mess? Are you headed in a direction that's going to end you up in uh, serious, serious trouble? say, well, what must I do to be saved? Well, the Bible says that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. But the only way you'll ever do that is to acknowledge your need. And if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then at the proper time, he will exalt you. He'll raise you up. In what way does he raise us up? Well, he raises us up to, be, to, to go from a sinner to a saint. To go from an outcast to a son in the family. To be a child of God. That's pretty exalting. You don't get any higher than that. A child of the king a prince or a princess in the royal family. So, I would ask you today, would you humble yourself and just say, God, I need you. I desperately need you. I, I'm dealing with a, a man right now who's just totally alienated 
from everybody that loves him. And he could quickly come back into favor with all of his family if he would just simply say, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have fallen short of what God has called me to be and to do. And I would say to you today, no matter who you are, if you will honestly cry out to God and say, God, I have sinned, he welcomes those who come to him with a humble attitude. And uh, trust him. Trust him. Call upon him. Call upon the Lord. And you'll be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have, that the Lord Jesus himself humbled himself. He left the throne of glory and became a a human. And as a human, he became a servant. And as a servant, he became a sacrifice and humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. And he became our example that if we will humble ourselves and cry out for mercy and come to you with a heart that's broken and a heart that is laying itself in the dust before you, that you will lift us up. And how much better than if we try to lift our own self up and you have to humble us, how much better if we will humble ourselves and let you lift us up. And I pray for those here today. Father, if there's even one person here today whose life is headed in the wrong direction, they've not trusted in Jesus, I pray that they will trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey and I pray it in Jesus name amen so we sing our invitation hymn this morning I just ask you to do that very thing trust in the Lord with all your heart don't lean on your own understanding but humble yourself and say God I need you I desperately need you he will save you Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.